Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday. We're going to be talking about a lot of things on today's episode. We have a trade agreement signed. The U.S. is going to be shipping more wheat to the country of Taiwan over the next couple of years. And Brittany Marchant, the executive director of the Idaho Wheat Commission, will talk about that deal with us here in segment two. And in segment three, Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist with Stonex, will be on the show. We're going to talk about these continuing volatile markets, particularly after that speech from Vladimir Putin last night calling up reservists into the Russian army. And then in segment four, Dean Nelson of Kelly Bean will join us as that dry bean harvest gets underway, or I should say continues. They've been working here about two and a half weeks getting that harvest off. He's going to bring us an update on how are things looking. Before we jump into any of that, however, it is fall. The chill is in the air, which for a lot of folks across the country means perhaps a trip out to an apple orchard to celebrate some cider and enjoy a delicious apple. Well, that got me thinking about the apple industry harvest is underway and joining us to start today's program is Jim Baer. He's the president and CEO of U.S. Apple and Jim thanks for taking the time to join us today. Hi Mike how are you? Hey I am very well sir tell me how is the apple harvest coming here across this country? Well it's uh, proceeding nicely the crop will be a little bit flat or even maybe a little bit down this year we had some areas that had freeze during the spring bloom and of course if there are no flowers to pollinate that means there'll be no fruit and some of the trees in the state of Washington are also still impacted by extremely high temperatures up to as, as much as 120 degrees uh, in 19, uh, 2019, 100, excuse me, in 2021 up to 119, 120 degrees and so that had an impact on the trees as well and everywhere you look you see news about food price inflation so that's just more uh, headwinds for the industry. Apple prices are up a little bit, but not nearly as much as the prices of fuel, fertilizer, and freight, which are up as much as 300%, as your listeners know. Yeah, absolutely. That margin squeeze is happening across the industry. It's frustrating to hear it's happening in apples as well. Jim, as you look at the market for apples, what has changed over the past couple of years? How is it adjusting here in this uh, post-COVID timeframe? The biggest impact, Mike, has been in our export markets. We would normally export about a billion dollars worth of apples every year. It's down dramatically, mostly due to the loss of the India market. That's been a market that's been uh, really a strong buyer of U.S. apples for decades, which is, when you think about it, it's 8,000 miles by ocean ship from Seattle to Mumbai. It's kind of a, just another miracle of modern U.S. agriculture that that uh, has worked for as long as it did. And then when the steel and aluminum tariffs went into effect in 2018, that uh, resulted in retaliation from India. Tariffs on U.S. apples going into India now are 75%. And as a result, our exports there are down almost 90%. And so in four years, U.S. apple growers have lost $500 million in sales to, to India. And those are sales you can never get back. They're gone forever. So that's really uh, been a huge uh, impact on growers. And we, you know, heard, we keep hearing that the that the Biden administration is going to take off those tariffs that were imposed by the previous administration. It hasn't happened yet, but we keep pushing for that. And Jim, I know the the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework is under discussion in Washington D.C. Is that a place you see apples potentially uh, gaining a little bit more of that access back? It is. We cannot ship to the EU uh, because of their. Uh, what we would say unscientific and, and protectionist uh, policies and regulations against uh, pesticide residues. So we really look to Asia. That's where the growth markets are, Indonesia, Vietnam. Uh, China was a new market. We just got opened uh, a couple of years ago, and because of the steel aluminum tariffs there as well, that has uh, impacted our shipments to uh, to China very dramatically. So there are it's it's a mixed picture some markets are good in asia and some not as good but that's really where we're uh, paying our attention as an industry 
All right, we'll continue to shape those conversations here as those policy discussions continue. I want to bring it back to the harvest that's uh, getting underway here in this country, Jim. We've been hearing all sorts of challenges with labor, particularly in the ag sector. I'm assuming apple growers are facing a crunch here as they look towards that important harvest time frame. Yeah, absolutely. We are facing a crunch, and we're the largest user of of hand labor. There's no mechanization when it comes to harvesting apples. And this is a conversation that might not be familiar to all your listeners that are in highly mechanized agriculture, like row crops or small grains. But the lack of dependable labor is the number one issue for, for all fruit and vegetable growers across the U.S. And right now, the so-called H-2A visa is the only legal means of using foreign-born labor. But it's clunky, bureaucratic, and expensive, and it, it costs as much as $4,000 or more per worker just to get those workers to your orchard, and that's before the first apple gets picked. They have to provide and, the transportation. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say we have to provide the transportation and housing. So even a middle-sized family farm orchard owner could pay a million dollars or more just to get the workers to their orchard, and then, then, then they have to start paying hourly wages after that. And those wages have been climbing as much as 20% in a year. Oh, wow. That is a huge jump. And I'm wondering about the availability of H-2A visas, period. Have they continued to, to issue them at the same rate they were pre-COVID? We're uh, using more and more every year. Uh, it's, it, it is clunky and bureaucratic, but it's the only legal means of, of tapping into that labor. And when McDonald's and other places are paying $16 an hour or more. We have to uh, be competitive with that. And so these workers that come in, it's hard work. I'm sorry to say that uh, most Americans don't want this kind of work. It's hard, uh, but they can make good money doing it. Uh, the hard part for a grower is, if you can imagine for your listeners, to, and I'm sure they can appreciate how hard it is to get an operating loan, when you can't even tell your banker what your number one input cost will be. And for apples, that's, that's the hand labor. And that continues to go up and up and up. And so that's why we're, we're pushing to get uh, a bill passed. It's passed the House twice, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. It was supported by both conservative Republicans and liberal Democrats, which doesn't happen very often in this town anymore. Uh, it's passed the House twice. It would limit those wage increases to three and a quarter percent a year. And for the first time, importantly to your listeners, would also include year-round agriculture uh, labor needs like hog confinements and dairy operations. So we're really pushing the Senate to act now and, and pass that bill so we can get it to the president's desk for signature. Yeah, that is a full court press. I know the press, uh, press rather, this labor issue is impacting so many aspects of agriculture and the broader society at large. It's something we'll be discussing for some time to come. Jim, if we've got listeners tuning in right now who are curious about the apple industry in this country, tell us where can they go to learn more? How can they get filled in on U.S. Apple? Sure. You can go to our website, usapple.org. We've got a lot of Good information there, and I think you'll uh, find some things that you didn't know, and you might even be surprised. There you go, folks. It's never too late to be surprised by an Apple. Jim Baer, President and CEO of U.S. Apple, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick with us. Brittany Hurst-Marchant, the Executive Director of the Idaho Wheat Commission, will be joining us after this break. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. 
Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA today, ladies and gentlemen. You know, as the harvest comes up and we start to see the stockpiles grow of grains and fruits around this country, the focus on markets is going to grow. We just heard from Jim Baer there at U.S. Apple about the importance of that Chinese market and that Indian market and the losses that have happened to American apple growers since those markets closed down, in effect. Anytime we can see trade internationally growing, it's a good sign for American producers. And there was a reason to celebrate earlier this week up in Boise, Idaho, the Idaho Wheat Growers, the Idaho Wheat Commission rather signed a two-year trade agreement with Taiwan, helping get some more of that U.S. wheat off our shores. Joining us today to talk about it and the overall crop up there in Idaho this year is Brittany Hurst-Marchant. She is the executive director at the Idaho Wheat Commission. And Brittany, thanks for joining us today. And thank you for having me, Mike. Let's talk about that trade agreement first and foremost. Idaho is no stranger to doing business with Taiwan. Is that right? That's correct. Our relationship with Taiwan started in the 1970s um, when they first they first started to come to Idaho. Every two years about, a group from Taiwan comes and signs a trade agreement to purchase a letter of intent to purchase Idaho wheat and U.S. wheat for Taiwan. So this this time it was for about almost 70 million bushels over the next two years, which will be about $576 million worth of, of U.S. wheat for Taiwan. That's pretty fantastic. Half a billion dollars worth of U.S. wheat heading across our shores. Brittany, I know that wheat crop up in Idaho is coming off pretty well right about now. Bring us up to speed. How are farmers feeling about the crop this year across your state? You know, pretty pretty great this year, especially compared to last year where we had significant drought and yield decreases in wheat. This year, we are making up the balance for last year's losses for sure. 
So it's well, that is good to hear. Have have market prices been staying high enough for growers to compensate for these elevated input prices? Yes and no. Input prices, as as we all know, have really soared this year. Um, wheat prices have also been very high. They've come down quite a bit recently, but you know, it's until we really put pencil to paper and do the math, it will it will be hard to say. But they're not they're not making a huge a huge profit this year. There's not a very big margin between between wheat prices being high because that's offset so much by the exceptionally high input prices. Right. When crude and, and diesel fuel goes to $5 plus, it's hard to make a margin when you're dealing in these commodity businesses. Brittany, with that being said, as your growers, as your members wrap up harvest, look out to next year, do you think they're still optimistic about the ag industry, particularly in Idaho? You know, I think I think people in agriculture have to always be optimistic about the ag industry, whatever whatever state they're in. Otherwise, you know, there's so much risk involved that that optimism really is what keeps them going. So yes, they're optimistic, but also fully aware that um, input prices are still high. No guarantees for when that will come down. Everyone is dealing with increased inflation and so yes there's optimism but also a lot of risk a lot of risk and there's always a lot of challenges of course in agriculture and Brittany I'm curious on the show here about a month and a half ago we had a conversation about the dams on the lower snake river and some calls by folks in government to perhaps remove them from the Idaho wheat growers perspective how do you feel about the the idea that the waterways could be changing there across the state Removing those dams on the Lower Snake River would be really catastrophic to the wheat industry, not just in Idaho, but all of the Pacific Northwest and the United States. Um, about 50% of the wheat that is grown in Idaho is exported, and it, uh, most of that goes through those four dams on the Lower Snake River. Also, 10% of all of the wheat produced in in across the whole United States goes down the river through those four dams to be exported to foreign markets. So it would, it would really be catastrophic to the export to exporting wheat. Um, And also to be able to replace what those barges take down the river would increase rail and truck traffic through the, the PNW corridor so much that it would really increase carbon emissions. It would be really bad for the environment in a lot of ways and for the economy. That's a really good point, Brittany. And as I think about the Pacific Northwest, I I think about a geography of the country that is very concerned about the environment, broadly speaking. Have the wheat growers and those in favor of maintaining the existing navigable waterways on the Lower Snake, have they been making progress explaining that all this wheat's going to be coming into Portland on a truck if you get rid of these barges? I think so. I think we are making progress. Um, of course, there will always be, you know, the dams have been an issue for for quite a while with a lot of controversy around them. So it's it's an ongoing effort to explain to people why they're important to the environment and the economy. Absolutely. And that discussion is going to be ongoing. Brittany, as you think out to this next year, of course, an election is coming up and then it's farm bill time. What are some policy priorities you've got there at the Idaho Wheat Growers Association? Our biggest, our biggest priorities with the Wheat Commission are always to do whatever we can to maintain the viability and sustainability of the industry and of family farms. More than 97% of our farms are family owned and operated. So multi-generational family businesses where grandfathers and sons and grandsons are, and, and their wives are doing the work together. So to mean, do whatever we can to maintain those. And then obviously keep 
to keep markets open, and part of that is to maintain um, those dams on the Snake River. Absolutely. It doesn't do much good if we're signing trade agreements, but then we can't get the product to those countries. Hopefully the fight up there in wheat country can continue and we can keep those waterways navigable. And that water, of course, used on farms and ranches as well. Brittany Hurst Merchant, the executive director of the Idaho Wheat Commission. Thank you so much for talking to us. And we wish your farmers the best of luck here as harvest wraps up across the state of Idaho. Thank you so much, Mike. Happy to be here. And folks, stick around. We're going to be talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from Stonex, here when AOA returns. But before we jump over to Arlen, I did want to make a quick note. Later on today, we are going to be hearing from the Federal Reserve. The Federal Open Market Committee, FOMEC, meets today. In fact, that meeting is happening right now and here at about 2 p.m. Central Time. We will get their latest Fed funds update. As of now, the market is anticipating a 75 basis point jump. However, there is still some folks in the market thinking it might be a full percentage point, which would be one of the largest rate hikes uh, we would have seen going back about 40 years. Ahead of that number coming out from the USDA, or excuse me, from the uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve, I did want to make a note to those of you who are looking out at this housing market and you're wondering, hey, should I jump in there and buy a house? I've got a piece of bad news. The U.S. 30-year mortgage rate hit six and a quarter percent. That is the highest 30-year mortgage rate we have seen in this country since the housing crisis of 2008. The rates have climbed the most since mid-June, folks. That corresponds pretty directly to moves from the U.S. Federal Reserve. So do anticipate that these Fed moves are working, and we will get Arlen's perspective here when he's on in a few minutes, but I would imagine that a climbing U.S. mortgage rate is going to put perhaps a little bit of a chill on that housing build-out we've been seeing develop across the country, which for rural America matters because that could put a chill on some of those farm ground parcels that are just outside of major cities that have seen incredible price appreciation over the past two years as the housing market has gone crazy and developers have been looking for developable ground outside of major cities. I would anticipate that might start to slow down a little bit as we continue to see these 30-year mortgage interest rates climb. We'll discuss that in a little more detail with our good friend and expert Arlen Suderman here in just a few moments. We'll also talk about what is moving in the grain markets today. The wheat market sliding back a little bit, no surprise necessarily, after President Vladimir Putin's conversation last night. Stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, mixed to higher action across the ag sector here and really across the entire commodity space and stock market ahead of the Federal Reserve wrapping up their two-day meeting here later today with an expected 75 basis point rate hike coming from the Fed when they uh, make their announcements and have a press conference at 1 p.m. Central Time. The trade is trading rather cautiously ahead of that Fed news. 
The wheat markets found support Tuesday and continuing to find support after more concerns have come out of the Russia-Ukraine war. Russia President Vladimir Putin planning to escalate the campaign against Ukraine, vowing to mobilize a portion of his 300,000 reservists and also making a veiled comment about using all means necessary, including nuclear weapons in the fight or against Western countries who interfere. Wheat prices finding the strength here through the overnight into the day session with the escalating risks tied to the Ukrainian war. Quarter bean prices pulled back a bit and are trading rather mixed here. Weather problems in the state suddenly mean a bit more amid the rising risks in the Black Sea once again. Yet all of this continues to be traded uh, under the context of the Wall Street fears of a larger recession that can negatively impact global demand. Now we see that corn demand remains very sluggish on both the export front and for ethanol with plants having taken maintenance downtime on the transition from old to new crop. Well, meantime, soybean demand has been just so-so. Brazil, Argentine beans supplying plenty of competition uh, here in the market trade as well, although we have been hearing rumors that China is buying some U.S. beans out of the PNW. Meantime, in the livestock complex, cattle futures trading rather mixed, keeping one eye on the upcoming cattle on feed report here this Friday. Meantime, hog trade trading rather mixed as well as we have cold storage numbers on Thursday. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. The show continues today, and like a lot of folks who are trading in these volatile markets, a lot of eyes are on the Federal Reserve here this afternoon. Joining us with a look ahead at what's happening here in the markets is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. And Arlen, 75 basis point hike. Still your expectation for the FOMEC meeting later today? Uh, yeah, that is the expectation. There's a small chance they could go to 100 basis points. Uh, I think it was the Swiss uh, Central Bank that did that yesterday. Um, but generally, expectation 75 basis points today and again another six weeks. I think the bigger thing to look at is going to be the dot plot matrix that comes out um, by the Federal Reserve. That's where each policymaker puts on this chart graphic where they think the interest rate will be at the end of the next several years and that gives them an idea a little bit of of how aggressive or how hawkish the various members are and that can change the expectations of the marketplace generally the history over the last six months has been for the fed members to be more hawkish than what the market thought they would be and the market said, ah, oh, they're not going to do that. And um, then they ended up doing it. And if they turn even more hawkish, that would say one thing. If they start to become more dovish on that graphic, that would say something else. But I think that may be the bigger market mover than the actual decision today. So let's assume, Arlen, that the Fed sticks at that as-telegraphed 75 basis point hike. Managed money gets that number, they digest it. How does that change their approach to commodities, given that inflation is still hot? 
Yeah, the, the it really comes down to watching the equity market, and the equity market seems to have priced in the 75 basis points, and so if the dot plot graphic doesn't have any significant changes in it either, then I think things stay, start to calm down on Wall Street, and that allows the fun, the commodities to fund focus more on supply and demand fundamentals. Now, going into today's trade, we thought we had more of a focus on the fundamentals, with what was happening in Russia and the escalation of the war there combined with the declining crop ratings here. Um, but the, in the end, we saw as the markets opened up at that 8.30 central time that uh, not only the grain and oil seeds, but the energy markets all kind of sold off and came off of their highs um, at the same time with this mass move to, to short the commodities ahead of this afternoon's decision. So today's downward move aside, as you're watching that big macro impact uh, there in the markets, Arlen, the Russian announcement last night, Putin's next phase, sounds like a difference, a change in the fundamental approach to the war. Do you see any longer term impacts here to the wheat market? Yeah, I think that's a real concern going forward. And and right now the trade is saying, well, Putin's being Putin uh, with his rhetoric and let's trade the Fed first. But longer term, this is the story. And I've been saying now for some time, I think the canary in the coal mine that we need to watch is natural gas prices in Europe in December, January, and February. So we're a little ways from that. But uh, Putin, has things haven't been going too well for him over the last 30 days in Ukraine as he's been losing territory he had previously had gotten a hold of, and, and that could lead him in trouble at home domestically. And so he's rapidly changing the ante now, upping the ante, so to speak, changing the game rules, um, bringing soldiers out of the reserves, some, some of his older officers out of retirement. Uh, it's just a partial activation at this point. He's also increasing the rhetoric, saying we'll use all weapons that we need to in order to defend ourselves. Basically, if he can rapidly say, we've annexed these territories to Russia, now suddenly he's, quote-unquote, defending Russia. And so we know that Ukraine's not going to quit fighting trying to take back that territory, and Ukraine's backed by NATO. So he will now convince his people that NATO and uh, Ukraine are attacking Russia, therefore justifying a war and conscripting more soldiers back home in order to join the war. So he is escalating this considerably. And if he's going to do that, then we can anticipate he'll do more to maybe shut off natural gas supplies to Europe tightening up supplies there this winter, risking a loss of production of fertilizer there and other crop chemicals, while also driving higher natural gas and diesel prices that we see even here in America. So um, this suggests that we could see a shutdown of trade of commodities, a safe corridor passages from the three ports out of Ukraine are at risk, but also at risk would be the possibility that the escalating war could further isolate Russia and even shut off the ability of Russia to trade grain through the Black Sea as well as other commodities. So I think there's a lot at risk. We don't know that that's going to happen, but it certainly does increase the risk of that happening in the weeks and months ahead. Arlen, after that Russian invasion of Ukraine, one of the commodities that went to the moon was sunflower oil right along, or excuse me, with sunflower oil, with, uh, with soybean oil right along with it. And bean oil, as I'm looking at the commodities today, that is the only, only real market that is higher on the day. Prices are well off from the summer's high. But do you think this bean oil demand is going to continue through this fall? Yeah, it is. So bean oil demand here in the United States is largely now being driven by the increased production of renewable diesel, which is significantly increasing. As we talked about for the last couple of years, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, it's here. And it is increasing on a steady basis now. And that's driving demand for bean oil. Sunflower oil, you know, you look at all the vegetable oils, they're interchangeable with one another to a great extent in many of the markets. So when one runs tight, they can go to another one in order to you know adjust their recipe so to speak and utilize that well 75 percent of the sunflower oil comes out of russia and ukraine on the world market and so when the war broke out that really tightened up supply of sunflower oil some is making out now largely over rail into europe uh, over the western border of ukraine 
Uh, but the, the risks are, is that going to get shut down once again? And uh, with the smaller soybean crop, we're seeing the tighter supplies of it here in the United States. So what's that going to do to the whole vegetable oil complex going forward? So that's a really a concern in this market, is how the whole vegetable oil sector is going to hold up supply-wise versus the newfound demand we have for these renewable diesels on top of the demand that we already had for other uses. So Arlen, thinking again about that bean oil and the Argentinian whole soybean sales, they've been moving a lot since they did their currency devaluation here back in early September. Is there the possibility that the U.S. can pick up their bean oil, bean meal business later on this next spring before their their new harvest comes in? Yeah, maybe some of the bean meal. I don't think we'll pick up much of the bean oil business because we'll need that here at home for the renewable diesel uh, production. But certainly some of the meal, and we've seen good, strong demand from both domestic meal and meal exports of late as well. The interesting thing about that Argentina thing, you're talking about the pesos for dollars program where they are Argentina needing to boost its foreign exchange reserves so they can meet its obligations for uh, its dollar denominated debt it needed to increase supply of dollars so the farmers there sell soybeans in dollars um, and so Argentina said if you sell your soybeans we'll give you 200 pesos for each dollar the official conversion rate was 145 pesos per dollar and so what farmers were doing was going ahead and selling soybeans and about six million metric tons went on the market very quickly over the first two weeks of the program to do that and then they turned around and cashed those pesos back in for dollars at the official rate again tightening up the supply of dollars and yesterday argentina said ah you're not going to do that anymore we're not going to allow you to do that so that essentially killed the program the problem is we did have about 6 million metric tons of cheap soybeans dumped on the market. Normally, they crush most of their soybeans, as you said, export the oil and the meal. They're the world's largest exporters of oil and meal. Well, China saw the opportunity to pick up those cheap soybeans, and they swept in and, and bought a lot of those soybeans, several million metric tons of soybeans, um, in order to for shipment in September and October, which means that displaces what we would normally be sending to China at this time of year. So it directly hurt us in our export business. It did. Arlen, did we see any weakness develop in soybean basis here over the last three weeks? Yeah, it really depends on where you're at. But yes, the overall trend is weaker, more weaker, shall we say, in the east than in the west because the crop looks better in the east than it does in the west. Processors are starting to get the supplies that they need, and so we're seeing that breaking a basis. So far, the net has been, the breaking basis has been greater than what the strengthening a basis in the West or the holding a basis. So nationally, we're seeing that weakening a basis, but it varies a lot depending on where you're at, and the same is true for corn right now as well. And on the corn side, are ethanol plants still usually the top bidder in a lot of markets? Yeah, they're fighting hard for that. I think we're going to see a pickup in pace of ethanol production again as new crop corn supplies become available. Again, the basis is stronger in the West where we have a massive deficit of over 700 million bushels of feed grain production in the primary feedlot states in the West. We're going to have to pull that corn from East to West. We're seeing more of a break in corn basis in the West where the supplies are going to be more surplus, but the basis staying strong in the West so that arbitrage can pull it to the West. Uh, so it, again, it depends on where you're at um, and, and seeing tremendous variability in basis, but that's the general trend that we're seeing unfold. And I think we're going to hold pretty well in the West as we go through the harvest. All right, folks, watch your local market. That volatility, that variability will persist. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist with Stonex, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk dry bean harvest with Dean Nelson of Kelly Bean when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike. 
block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seat has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend-to-Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. As you start thinking about your wheat or rye buying decisions this fall, keep in mind the commitment your seed companies are making to new seed innovations. Our Seed Innovation Protection Alliance members reinvest 15% of their sale into bringing you new genetics with improved agronomic and end-use quality traits that increase your profit potential. SEPA seed companies thank growers for buying new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and seed dealers. Don't cut corners. Buy the best seed possible. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel.
diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day here on this Wednesday. Harvest is underway for a lot of crops here across this great country, including dry beans. Kelly Bean works with growers across eight different states, and today we're talking with Dean Nelson. He's up there in Hatton, North Dakota. And Dean, harvest is underway in your neck of the woods. How's it going so far? Well, good morning, Mike. Yeah, uh, we've been going actually about two weeks now. Two weeks, and are yields coming in where you'd expected? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, we have a, uh, a a really good crop. Um, some areas of the valley, the northern areas of the valley, are having you know tremendous yields. Uh, the central valley where I'm at. Uh, we're not seeing record-breaking yields, but boy, they have been uh, pretty good. Not a lot of complaining going on around the country. Well, that's good to hear, Dean, because I know in your neck of the woods, it was a tough spring to get those beans planted. How late in the season did they get in this year? Well, actually, we had some replants going in the week of June 20th. And those beans, I think we've made it now for the frost date. They're maturing, but they're not ready to be harvested yet. We probably got 15% oh, of the crop that uh, is still probably won't be harvested till October. But uh, we're about 40% harvested as of uh, on our pinto beans today. Uh, we had a little rain over the weekend, which uh, slowed us down for about four days here. And today now we're just kind of getting back into the harvest mode and We'll uh, get a couple more days before another rain event for the weekend. So, Yes, indeed. Of course, it is that time of year. Dean, how uh, across Kelly Bean's other territories, how's harvest going? It was it was a lot of variability this year in weather across the country. Yeah, uh, our, our facilities in Nebraska and Colorado, uh, they're getting a good start. They, they were really dry, um, kind of drought in, in that area in western Nebraska. Uh, eastern Colorado. So their their yields are a little disappointing. Um, you know, a fair amount of irrigation going on in that part of the, the country, but uh, they, they, their crop isn't as good as up here in North Dakota. Well, Dan, supply is one side of the equation. Demand is the other side. What are prices doing? How's that dry bean market looking as we head into fall here, 22? Well, the, the prices uh, historically are, are uh, pretty strong. We're in the uh, upper 30s to low 40s per hundredweight for uh, for beans for pretty much all the classes. Um, so it, it's a pretty uh, pretty good price, and with the yields, it's uh, returning a good and good return to the farmers. That's good to hear. So even with the elevated input prices, even with the costs that have gone up elsewhere on the farm, the dry bean market has kept up, huh? Yes, it has. It has. It's and but it all depends on the yield. You know, when you get good yields, it makes up for uh, for some of that with the the decent price. So. All right. You can bushel your way out of some trouble if the yield is there, Dean. And that's got me wondering here, as growers are looking ahead to that 2023 season, they're making some input purchases already. Do you have a handle on what bean acreage might look like next year? Or do we need to get through harvest first and foremost? Well, I think, uh, you know, in the past, we've seen when, you know, yields are good and prices are strong and neighbors see what neighbors are, are getting on some of their returns we we generally see a little increase in acres but but it'll be a fight for acres just you know with everything else the commodity prices are good on on a lot of the other crops too so um we're hoping to gain a few more acres back but they're certainly not a, a given at this point no, that's true. There are going to be a lot of questions here before we start to put that next crop in the ground. Dean, thinking ahead, you mentioned you might be running until about October. Do you have any concerns getting crop out before the weather starts to move? Is snow going to be a concern this year? You know, generally, you know, we don't see snow till the end of October. Um, we've harvested in November before. 
Um, we're hoping for a little Indian summer. They're talking nice weather again next week now. And, um, you know, getting to the 15th of October and getting the crop harvested isn't that terribly unusual here in the, in the upper Midwest. That's good to hear. And I guess my other concern for your question I've got is labor. Have your bean growers been able to get enough truckers and keep the harvest running on pace? Well, I think everybody is is feeling the pinch of the labor shortage from here at uh, my facility to across our company and and farmers also are seeing a fair amount of uh, retired guys driving truck and helping out in the harvest. So, you know, we try to make do with what we can and do the best we can. That's all we can do each day. We just got to put our shoulder to it and turn the wheel as best we can. Dean Nelson of Kelly Bean up there in Hatton, North Dakota. Dean, thanks for joining us today, and we wish you the best of luck as that harvest season goes along. All right. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. Tomorrow we are going to be having a good conversation with Rob Fox from the CoBank Knowledge Exchange Division here on AOA. He and, uh, well, CoBank as a whole and the University of Missouri partnered on a study that was just released earlier this week, and they look at the impact of off-farm income. We just heard Dean mention it there. A lot of times in the countryside, you know, we're hopping in a truck, we're finding a little couple of extra ways to make some money off-farm, and they've found that, that the importance of that off-farm income continues to grow. About 56% of principal farm operators had a job off the farm in 2017. That's up from 37% in 1974. Rob's going to join us on the show tomorrow. We're going to talk about this study, what it means for farm operations as you try to plan for the future, and why it is it's worked out this way. I've got a feeling that it probably has something to do with the climbing costs we're seeing throughout the economy. But we'll talk with Rob about that tomorrow. We're also going to check in with Iowa Senior Senator Charles Grassley here ahead of those November elections. Jeff Tarsi, the Nutrien new head of retail fertilizer, will be joining us for an outlook on that industry. And Kent Bacchus from NCBA has an update on climate concerns in the cattle space. Tune in on Thursday to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma. Not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.